1: John Teeter.
0: Hi, I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. I'm fortunate today to have two guests on: Anthony Barnum, who's a previous guest, and Mark Cobb. Mark Cobb is a resource for me. He's a resource for a lot of people I know, and including my partner that does implementation work, logging, etc. Mark is a resource for equipment, tools, you name it. He knows a lot about it. I'm really happy to have him on the podcast and I'm happy to have Anthony back to kind of get into some of the gear and things that we're interested in. And particularly, you know, we're focused on habitat management and everything that comes along with it and tools is is at the top of the list, at least from an expense standpoint and a focus standpoint. So happy to have you guys on. Mark, do you want to kind of introduce yourself to the podcast and give uh, people a little bit of history, you know, what you've done, your business, you know, those type of things?
2: Yeah, I can do that. My name is uh, Mark Cobb, as John said. I am from central New York. My family and I own and operate a small hardware store down just outside of Cortland a little ways. Uh, We're a full line steel dealer, so we I, I'm kind of a specialist in the, the steel line. I do a lot of the mechanic work and a lot of the sales work on it and that sort of thing. I have to go through a lot of training and Try to get as much hands-on experience as I can with the equipment to give customers the best idea of what tool they need for the job at hand.
0: Yeah, and you're pretty proficient with equipment beyond understanding the maintenance and how things function. You know, you've run saws, you've cut timber, you've got field experience. That's obviously important for, for yep. people that uh, that use you as a resource. You know, mm-hmm. I know that you're a steel dealer, and I think that's important for people to recognize that. You know, you're you're leveraging your local resource, people that work, you know, for steel or people that, you know, sell steel equipment, but there's other brands. So I don't want this to be so steel focused, right? We're, sp- we're focusing on equipment. Of course, we're probably going to talk about some models and, you know, steel will be the focus of this discussion, but, you know, you have good hands-on experience with what equipment to select for a specific application, whether it be, you know, cutting shrubbery, you know, managing vegetation of any type, you know, larger stems, chainsaws is an example so let's kind of get into you know your history with equipment and how you came up the ranks and you know things that you've done over the years that have made you kind of understand a little bit more about what you need and and kind of the application side of it
2: yeah yep so like ever since I was younger I was like just doing mechanical things and I was always a hands-on kind of person so I instead of just wanting to you know, ride bicycles, I wanted to tear them apart and put them all back together. Well, then it turned into tractors, and that turned into trucks. So chainsaws are just another different wing off of that. When we decided we wanted to try and get into the outdoor power equipment line, that was, you know, I was all gung-ho about it. The chainsaw things I just kind of focused straight on, and then it just turned into a hobby, and that was spun into this. But, yeah, like as far as like Don was saying, I, I've always – like to do hands-on things like i use i help out on like a, a crop farm that does a lot of acreage i have a couple of friends that do hay you know are rerunning tractors doing hands-on things and you know doing disking and things like that even for like food plots and you know in the smaller terms and everything so sure. i've always just kind of been focused on that sort of thing as far as getting out and getting hands-on with it with that sort of stuff so it's worked out that pretty good
0: And I connected you through Josh, who does implementation work for me with my business. And Josh is a resource of mine. And he said, you got to go down and talk to Mark. He knows a lot more about equipment. Now, years ago, Anthony and I, you know, Anthony being the gear guy, you know, he was like, all right, you know, I'm doing work and this is the chainsaw I'm using. And I use Anthony as my resource. Anthony, we used to run 250s. I don't know if you still have yours. I got rid of mine a few years ago, but an MS-250 kind of a... Uh, I don't want to say like a, a lower end saw, but it's, it's not a professional saw and a great utility saw.
2: I mean, what you, you know, we've beat the hell out of those saws over the years. I still have one, and I love that saw because, just like you said, it's something that you know for the price that you pay for that thing, you can literally do anything that you need to with it. Yeah, it might not be the most proficient at, like, cutting down trees, but you can do it with it. And the, for the price that you get out of it, and the power and the quality and stuff, it's really, really, really hard to beat.
1: My MS250 is still kicking. You know, I've had it for years and, and beat the the crap out of it, and yep. uh, you know, still still doing. Its job, but you know, it's, it's not like my uh, 261 that I have, you know, there's kind of a right. definitely a difference there. Um, yep. but yeah, definitely good stuff. Well, let's get into kind of the application.
0: Cause Mark, you guys at your business, you rent, you rent equipment. We've talked about this, you know, I've got some projects coming up this Correct. year on my own property. You rent equipment and obviously sell equipment. Let's kind of go through the decision process a little bit purchasing versus renting. I don't typically rent things. I like to buy things, but maybe there's a better option for a lot of people. So let's, let's kind of dive into that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, like I'm I want to be just like that too. I don't want to have to worry about going down there and timing things as far as rental. So I get that. But having said that, there's definitely a time to rent. The initial start in is, okay, when is the time to buy a saw versus rent a saw versus just borrow a saw? I would say borrow a saw is okay. You don't really have much experience. You just have one or two projects, or if you need to borrow a bigger saw to do one little minor thing, renting would be something like, okay, you have a a pretty big project going on, and you just want to kind of tackle it one time, and it might take you a weekend, it might take you a week, or it might just take you a day, but it's something that you need to have that saw for versus actually purchasing a saw. Purchasing a saw, obviously, there's different levels of it. I I usually push people. The main thing that you're going to find when you purchase a chainsaw, a brush-clearing saw, anything like that, is a good servicing dealer. I mean, you need to have somebody who is knowledgeable. Um, you need to have somebody that has a lot of parts and that they can do things in a relatively quick and efficient manner. When you're looking at, like, the chainsaw, for an example, a lot of people just think of a chainsaw, and they're thinking about cutting down trees. Well, if you think of, like, uh, the landscape management, like that you're looking at, you know, not everything is a 20-inch a tree that you got to cut down. Sometimes there's just little saplings that are down on the ground. Well, if anybody has ever done it for about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, even with that MS-250 like you were saying, which is a 10-pound saw, you know, when you're bent down to the ground sitting here trying to cut these things off at the bottom, there's right tools for the right Projects. And so, like, the other thing that I was talking to John about that he's going to try this out in the springtime is what they call a a clearing saw. It's in the you can look these up online but the best way to describe them is imagine like a string trimmer but instead of having like a regular string on there you go out there and do your lawn with this actually has a regular circular saw blade on there and they call it a bike handlebar which is a big loop per se that goes in front of you and you have a harness and it's made to literally saw down like in a circular saw style fashion trees that are all the way up to three inches and you know for something like a clearing aspect that's a much better idea so going back to the rental aspect I mean if If you look at the actual price of, if you want to go out and buy one of these, retail for one of these clearing saws is about $1,400. So trying to tell somebody that that wants to go out here and buy a clearing saw for $1,400, you're usually going to get a jaw that's on the floor and they're going to say, I can't afford that or it's not ethical, which I would agree with. Versus you can go and rent one for, say, $40 or $50 and you are out the door, you can It was like you said, that one project that you have, or even if you have to rent it for a couple weekends, you know, you can get that pretty well whacked out and it only costs you a fraction of the cost for something that you really aren't going to use a lot. It's just something that's kind of like a maintaining kind of thing.
0: No, that's a, that's a good point. I I don't know if, you know, Anthony, have you, have you rented any equipment, uh, any of this type of equipment, any, any field clearing equipment, any chainsaws? Have you, have you ever rented equipment before?
1: No, no, I've, I've uh, only used uh, equipment that I've purchased or borrowed from my dad or, or others. But uh, mostly, you know, like you, I, I go out and uh, buy the things that I need. And, um, you know, if I don't have an immediate need for it, I find work for it later on down the line to yeah. help justify the cost.
0: The the thing is, I guess the way I'm looking at it is I didn't even know that some of these pieces of equipment could be rented, specifically chainsaws. The other thing you brought up, Mark, that kind of makes me think a little bit more in depthly is, you know, you're being, you're a local dealer to me, right? So I'm able to, you know, Mm -hmm. make a quick commute down to you and you're able to service my equipment. I'm able to use you as a resource. You know, I think that's important for individuals to, you know, maybe connect with somebody like me connecting with you that I trust. I trust your input. You've got great judgment. So maybe it's not as much, you know, what the brand is, if it's steel or husky or whatever the, the case may be, it's, it's really kind of as much the relationship with, kind of the dealership as it is the product itself on
2: to some degree. I would agree a hundred percent on that. I mean, like to me, I mean, yes, I I am a steel dealer. I'm going to wave that steel flag out there. But in reality, the push come to shove, the brand should really come second to the servicing dealer. If you live two miles from a servicing Husky dealer an Echo dealer or any other brand dealer and they are they do a phenomenal job then yeah i would absolutely do them over going to say a steel dealer that's not as well prepared or well as knowledgeable or anything on that i mean that's just to me that's that that should be prioritize your purchasing as far as having a good servicing dealer versus the brand per se i mean yeah obviously you don't want to go out there and buy a you know a hundred dollar piece of equipment thinking that you're gonna be able to go down there and cut Cut down a whole forest and think that things gonna last. But yes, I would definitely say servicing dealers should be the top thing on the list.
0: That's important to me, and I think that you know originally I, I would look past that, and I always felt I could I could accomplish everything myself. I could fix the carburetor. I could. As time has gone on, you know, I've recognized that I have to yep. rely on experts and expert opinions, and uh, I think that to me is is probably like we just said is is probably the most important thing and probably the takeaway. I would ask people to think about when they're thinking, you know, where I should go or what should I use, get familiar with your dealership and build a relationship with them, you know, word of mouth resources like like you and and good reputable folks that can give, you know, real candid experience that have field experience. I mean, if the the guy that does my implementation work is going to you, I'm likely going to consider you as as a potential resource and uh, you know, that's just an easy example of using references to kind of get Kind of what you think would be the best option, uh, at least somebody to talk to. So let's mm-hmm. let's dig into specifics. Projects that we've had. I want to I want to go back to something Anthony and I talked about years ago. If anybody follows, uh, there's a gentleman named Jim Ward. Uh, I think he's an, he's an incredibly interesting character. And Anthony and I had talked to. I don't know if Anthony talked to him or I talked to him. You know, he, he was a big fan of the MS 250s years ago. I'm sure he still use them and he, he treated them as throwaway saws. I mean, he's an implementer. He goes and does work. You know, those are saws that I think are under $400. He, he's done and he chucks them. And I, I just remember there's those examples where somebody uses something. It's cost affordable and it's just kind of a disposable thing. I think a lot mm-hmm. of things that we buy as, as, um, you know, consumers. Is we don't just want to throw it away. We don't want it to last a, a short amount of time. We also want to make sure we're getting the right tool for the job so we can go execute. And I think maybe over the years, and Anthony, I'd like to get your comments on this is we've experienced this where I've bought something. Oh man, I should have bought something else or, you know, I, I should have upgraded to this or it doesn't fit, you know, my example. Anthony, you've, have you experienced that? Like I know recently you've probably talked to me about it, but have you, uh, have you experienced that you think?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going back to, you know, the MS-250, you know, I bought that saw and, and it worked out pretty well for me, but I found myself, you know, wanting something more and that bumped me up to, you know, an MS-261, uh, which is, you know, a phenomenal saw. It's, uh, you know, relatively uh, lightweight. It's got a lot of spunk, but it's not big enough for those biggest jobs. And, you know, so I'm I'm in discussions with uh, Mark about when I can get down uh, to the shop and, and pick up an MS-400. So, you know, there's there's certainly uh, situations where, you know, I, I definitely need more, I, I want more, and because of that, you know, I'm, I'm purchasing uh, multiple saws to make sure I have the right tool for the job.
0: Can we get into that real quick? So, you've made a decision to upgrade, and you're making it because you have more work coming up based upon the projects that you've got going on that you didn't have originally. Different forest management efforts aside of your, you know, your property that your co-owners on, the property that you own, you're having it logged, and you assume that you're going to have additional work. Is that the reason why you're buying the saw or is it, is it bigger pictures or something else going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the immediate need. So once this logging operation is done, um, you know, there's going to be, tops, um, you know, scattered all over the place. You know, the, the logger will move some of them to strategic areas and, and that sort of thing. Um, but there's going to be, you know, tops in areas where I don't want them. So, you know, I'm going to have to buck that up and, and get the the wood out of there and, and you know, position things the, the way that I want. In addition to that, you know, I've got a bunch of, you know, kind of lesser quality trees that you know, the logger isn't interested in. Um, it's preventing, you know, sunlight from getting to the forest floor. And uh, I want those out of there too. So, and, and some of those are, are rather large. And, you know, the, the 261, you know, could probably do the job. It's going to take a bit longer. And, you know, it's it's not as uh, purpose built for those larger trees. And, and that's where the 400 uh, comes to play. And, you know, honestly, you know, longer term, I do have that legacy property that we've talked about in a previous podcast that will also have another logging uh, operation done at, at some point in time. And I think the 400 will uh, pay off for me then as well.
0: Okay. So there's a long term vision with spending a little bit more money from the 261 upgrade. I think that yep. makes a, a lot of sense. Mark, can you, let's get into the, so Anthony kind of broke down like his, his, his kind of lineage here and then obviously the job differences. And then obviously that, that kind of led him to, Oh, I need a new saw. I think I've made this mistake where I've, I've purchased a saw and then, well, I, I need something else. I mean, you waste a lot of money doing that because you, you can oh, never yeah. sell the saw for what you paid for it. And then in some cases, I'm going to keep the saw because I think that I'm losing too much money on a sale. So can maybe Mm -hmm. let's get into kind of the selection, talking a little bit about, you know, the application side of it, maybe bucking up, you know, larger timber, maybe it's more of an efficiency thing. So for me, it's usually efficiency, but looking at the saw for the job. And then let's not just talk about cutting timber. We could talk about branching or working with limbs and then just framing out areas, you know, for bedding or travel corridors, you know, just maybe some lighter weight stuff that doesn't necessarily be uh, gas driven. Maybe we could kind of explore that a little bit.
2: Like the main thing is like when, when somebody comes up to me and like they're, Say when you walked in the store there and you are saying, okay, I'm looking at a chainsaw, you know, the main things you have to look at is what you want to accomplish with that saw, whether you're replacing a saw that, and you want to get the same size or equivalent, or if you're adding a saw to your collection like uh, Anthony was doing. I mean, you have to be realistic as far as like what you're going to be doing with it and what is going to be the proper setup for you. And then it goes back to his experience too, you know, if somebody, you know, say, John Smith comes in off the streets or something like that, and they have uh, zero cutting experience, but they do have a 36-inch tree that they want to come up there. Well, the right saw for that particular project would be like a 661. Well, I'm not going to go out there and let somebody <laughs> spend $1,400 on a saw that they should not be handling. I mean, right. the one thing that a lot of people need to understand is, I mean, yes, you're going to become more comfortable with it, but you need to know when when, when your limitations are there. So, so going back to the other, I mean, Like, when I was talking to Anthony, I'll just try and use him for the example, you know. And, like, I think even with you, because the 400 was not out yet and the 362 was out. When you're you're jumping around from saws, I mean, the things to take into consideration, like the 261, like you guys said, is a phenomenal saw. It has an excellent, excellent power-to-weight ratio, which I'm going to refer back to a bunch of times, which for some of you guys that are kind of giving me the side eye right now, I mean... The power to weight ratio is literally that. It's the how much power it's going to have for the weight of the saw. A professional saw, the real selling aspect on a professional saw besides the build quality on it is going to be the power to weight ratio there's saws that are you know they're polymer based that are going to be a little bit less expensive like you're looking at the 500 to 550 versus the same class saw and when i say it's the same class it's the exact same ccs the same handlebars everything's all real similar in it But the power to weight ratio on that pro saw, you're going to be looking at like maybe 12 pounds of a saw and say 4.8 horse versus you step down to the, what they call the farm and ranch line, which would be the polymer based ones where, you know, you're at four horse or 4.2 horse and you've gained another two pounds. So, you know, after running those things all day, I mean, that adds up quite a bit. So that's, I mean, that's where I sell a lot more pro units after I've talked to people and I get them, i take the saw and I throw it in their hands. And I'm like, okay, you got to think about this is what you're going to be throwing around all the time. So then going back to that same s- statement, I mean, like a 261 is going to be very limited as far as like you can go with a 16-inch bar up to a 20-inch bar. And then that is the end of the road for you. I mean, if you, like Anthony was saying, you know, if I got some bigger wood or something like that, most trees around here—if you talk to any old-time farm boy—they're going to say you can cut down any tree around here with a 20-inch bar, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's true. I mean, if you if you set your mind to it, you can do it. It's just not very efficiently. Yeah. So you know, that's when it's time to upgrade to like, say a 400 or a, even a 362 or a, a 462, you know, that's your bump up in power, but you then you can, you can also pull the longer bars. You put the 25 inch bar on there. You have the ability to jump back down to a 20 inch, you know, it's the same saw, but you just have a smaller, smaller tool on it per se.
0: Yeah. So the bar, I think the bar length is critical in the, some of that discussion, but more importantly, the power to weight ratio is huge. And that's kind of a, I guess a calculation you could do um, when you're starting to lay out, you know, saw choices, and Mm -hmm. I think that'll be critical for anybody who's looking at, you know, what's the benefit of this saw versus that saw. And I can tell you personally, going from, you know, what I, I run, I run a 201, a 362, and a 460 now, and those are my three saws that I'm running constantly. And boy, the difference between all those and the application is is actually different. The 362 being a lot lighter. I've got a smaller bar on it. It runs great. It does a lot of good, you know, small bucking of small trees. I can delimitry really quick, you know, great for hinge cutting. But my 201 is even much better than that. Lightweight. I can go in there, cut shrubbery down, young saplings. Like, that's a very good piece of equipment. Josh, who does the implementation work, he was at a client's job a few weeks ago, and I think he's running a 462 cutting down shrubbery, and he's like, my back's killing me. I'm dying, right? So I was like, mm-hmm. w- why aren't you running like a cheap 170 or 180 or now he's buying a 201. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, again, the weight of the actual machine, its handle weight, everything is just really critical in the application side of it. And I think, you know, going from, you know, like the 261 that Anthony said up to the 400 for his application is is perfect because he's going to be dealing with treetops from that timber harvest that are going to be sizable and the efficiency he's going to have of trimming those up, being able to move them around and just kind of, you know, building, you know, I guess different, I think you're going to be probably doing a bunch of different uh, resource options with that, you know, rabbit or, you know, you're building bedding for deer, just, you know, you're going to just using that tool to get those uh, resources in the right location. It's just, it's an efficiency thing. So I think that's kind of important to lean off of. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about battery and gas saws, and then I think we want to talk about some of these other pieces of equipment that I think are critical. I know a lot of people are buying battery saws. I've talked to, I've been at clients that they have these great mm-hmm. battery saws. They love them. There's low maintenance, and I was like, whoa, that's that's interesting. It's such a different thought, or how often you use it, and you don't have the same maintenance or you have different maintenance, you don't have the carburetor, right? You're using a battery. It could be a good option for a lot of people. What What are you typically seeing in that side of the house?
2: So the first thing I'm gonna say about battery and gas, and because I know there's gonna be a lot of people that kind of phase this off and they're gonna try and fast forward out of this whole part, but. The main thing to realize when it comes to a battery saw is these things are not toys. I mean that right off the bat. If you anybody that knows anything about electrical motors, they have 100% torque right off the throttle. A gas-powered chainsaw, you have to have some momentum going, some RPM to really have any power per se. The one main thing that people should realize with a battery saw is these are still extremely dangerous. So what I usually tell people with the battery stuff is they've come a long, long ways the biggest downfall to battery operated stuff right now is just the initial cost getting in going back to steel they had the ap line out which is i will refer to a couple times the ap the a actually stands for battery in german and p is for professional and then they have an AK line, which is their homeowner line. A homeowner saw you can get with a MSA-120 is the one that I usually use for an example. It's $300. It's got a 12-inch bar on there, and it's 8.2 pounds with a battery. Runtime, you're going to be looking approximately about 40 minutes. Now, 40 minutes, everybody's like, well, I'm out in the woods for two, three hours. Well, if you think about the actual time that trigger is pulled, it's – probably not that full two hours more than likely it's maybe half an hour 40 minutes or so you got to take that into consideration that even goes with like the string trimmers but as far as the battery chainsaws go they have really come a long ways when you jump up to the ap line that's when they really really jump up in performance but I'm Fortunately, they really jump up with cost. That $300 uh, MSA 120 unit that comes with the battery, the charger, and the unit now jumps up to $750 for, like, say, an MSA 220, which is equivalent to basically like just shy of like what a 250 is. Now, having used them, they are an extremely, extremely impressive unit. I uh, I actually upgraded well. I didn't know it was an upgrade at the time, but I sold my gas powered combi unit, which is the half shaft string trimmer units there with different attachments on. I had enough people asking about the battery version of that, and I've am sitting and I, I've talked to John about this before, and I think Anthony even knows. I am awful about being confident with selling a product or pushing a product that I don't have any clue on how they actually use or how they like the actual field work is. Like, I like the 400s. I want to know exactly what the how they run the characteristics of them before I can say, okay, yeah, that's the saw you want to go to. So going to the battery stuff there, I had to sell my faithful gas job, KM136 and i i hated doing it and now i have a battery powered one and i i love it it's absolutely Hmm. mind-blowing i mean yes there it was very expensive to get into but you know i take the battery and i go and put it inside like right now it's hanging up in my uninsulated garage where it's probably 30 degrees out right now and i just i carry the batteries inside for the winter and other than that, I mean, you, you never have to worry about oh, did I treat this gas before I put it in the unit, or did I did I properly store that, or oh, is my carburetor acting up? Oh, I got a crash fuel line. I mean, yes, you're still gonna it's it's a manufacturing process, so you're gonna still have issues with it, but it's it's pretty impressive with the amount of runtime that you can get out of these new battery powered things and just the, the low maintenance to them. I mean, you obviously you still have some things you got to check. It's seen things like the drive shaft and things like that on there, but they're just very impressive units as far as that goes.
0: And I know, like I said, I remember when I was on a client's property last year and then this year I was on a client's property and I think they had, one had a Milwaukee, one had a Ryobi and and there's obviously options, right? So it's kind of looking at the price, mm-hmm. like you you were talking about earlier. And And again, making sure, but, you know, they were using those for kind of limbing saws. Um, I think that was kind of the the focus and maybe smaller if something's in the trail, you know, way, those type of things. Or or maybe in this case, another good example is there's a lot of saplings coming up an area and and you just want to create a pathway through that. Uh, Probably a good application for something small and lightweight. I know they make a T-handle saw and I want to talk about really quick this point. My 201, I'm a huge fan of that saw. I've used it in almost every situation. I've cut big timber with that saw too. And that thing is by far, it's lightweight, it's portable. The T-handle allows you to be much more flexible in the field. I haven't used it as a size, so to speak, but I've definitely used it in an application where I'm cutting through things like that. And from a bending over standpoint and wanting something lightweight, Again, I went back to this point earlier. Lightweight equipment, I think, is really critical for portability in the field Absolutely. and just 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 general like just wear and tear on your body. You've got a you know big massive logging saw, you know that that some of these loggers use. I mean, it's it's backbreaking, but the saw works for the application. They don't have to do a whole lot of work to cut through that tree. If you watch a logger work, and I've watched Josh do a lot of work, he's cut through the trees and he doesn't put a lot of pressure on the saw. The saw does the job. So I think talking maybe a little bit about that point would be, you know, important just to recognize that if a saw is struggling to get through, you know, a piece of wood, sometimes it's a bunch of different things, but a lot of times it's just generally the power of the saw, the ability of the saw to kind of work through that piece of wood and the efficiency it works through as it goes through. And obviously that comes to, you know, important topic of sharp chains and, and things of that nature. So Mark, do you want to kind of get into, you know, thinking about, you know, the purpose of the saws and then, you know, from an application side, you know, what do you select, you know, this chain versus that chain or bar length is important depending on the size of the tree that you're going through. So kind of, could you break that down for me?
2: Yeah, I'll try and break it down as best as I can. Um, I mean, I'll try not to get too carried away. Really when it comes to chain type is there's basically two different ones you can focus on. There's what they call a full chisel and a semi chisel. A semi chisel is going to be, if you're looking at the profile from the back, the cutting edge is going to be kind of a little bit more rounded profile, and then the full chisel is going to be square ground. Now, when I say it's square, like it's obviously it's going to have just a little bit of a radius, but hardly any at all. Typically, a chisel chain is going to cut faster and feed better, like what you were saying with Josh as far as like his saw pulls just right. That's tend to be more of a professional style chain. Now, the semi-chisel, everybody usually turns their head away from because they think of it okay it's slower but i try to it's hard to do over a phone conversation but it's always easier to to view it as this way a semi-chisel chain is going to take the abuse as far as like when are you doing a lot of your cutting if you're doing a lot during the mud season or if you're doing it when there's a lot of frozen wood a semi-chisel chain is actually a better choice for you because the amount of abuse that it can take from like dirt frozen wood anything like that will make it so that chain yeah it's going to slow down a little bit but it's really not going to change a whole whole lot versus that full chisel chain that you were just you know buzzing through a 20 inch piece in nine seconds or so now you're going to start dulling it down and getting wood burnt right off the get go and you know your 10 second cut's going to go down to like a 15 and before you know it's 18 and now you got to go back and resharpen it because now you got burn marks you know for you know a 16th of an inch or so and then as far as, like, the bar size goes there, it's it's kind of six one way, half a dozen the other. I mean, in reality, and this goes to not even just the bar size, but even chain. I mean, the lighter the saw, the smaller the unit, the more control you're going to have over it. I mean, if you think about, like, if you're trying to carry around a bowling ball as fast as you can, you know, it's kind of waving back and forth. You carry a volleyball or something like that, you have pretty good control of it. Same size, but just a lot lighter. So going back to, like, with the bar size on that, I've been pushing a lot for these light bars, the, you know, you're, you're going to have the added length that, like say I, I'm a 6'4 guy, I i don't like bending over like you were saying, you do that all day long, it adds up fast, so if I you know i got to do a lot of limbing, on my 462, which is my go-to saw, I have a 25 inch bar on there that's a light bar. Bars are more expensive, am I cutting through 25 inch wood all the time, no, not really, but it's nice because if I have to do a lot of that limbing, like with the trees on the ground, you know, you don't have to bend over as far. So it's you got to take that into consideration. And going in the opposite hand, I had a, a guy, a customer that came in, went to a dealer and went and bought a 461 and had a 25-inch regular bar put on there. And I started talking to him like, well, what? why did you have the saw? I brought it in, the set, chain was sagging like two, three inches off of it. And apparently, he kept on throwing the chain off the bar. Well, this dealer sold this person this saw because they said that they had a bunch of trees that they were trying to take down. And no joke, there were a bunch of saplings that were like two, three inches big. Oh. <laughs> and he was hoping that he wasn't going to have to reach for it. So he had this chainsaw on its side all day long holding it wide open down low. And it just, that big long bar on there was not appropriate for the action.
0: You know? <laughs> I've been there. So. I've been there, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's interesting. You just threw a bunch of at me and understanding chains and, mm-hmm. and and you said the application and, and I'm cutting a lot of timber in the winter time at least uh, on my property mm-hmm. I'm not doing client work as much anymore but you know cold versus you know the wood is <laughs> there's there's a density of wood and you're dealing with the water in the wood you know mm-hmm. I didn't even think of it like that of chain selection in those particular situations do you know oh, it's, it's interesting I mean I I didn't yeah. I, I didn't even think about that till now yeah. when you're cutting I guess in those situations and I'm, I'm not sure if folks are doing this, changing or having different chain options based upon, you know, the type of wood that you're dealing with, um, not just species, and I think probably species-dependent. So if you're cutting softwoods, maybe there's different types versus, you know, I guess hardwoods that are they're frozen. Is, is there some differences there to consider?
2: So, so I don't have much experience cutting softwood, but I've actually talked to a lot of people, like, from all of the countries. I have chainsaw buddies all over the place, down in Tennessee, Georgia. And believe it or not, down in like from my understanding, down like when you get like into Virginia and so on and so forth, they really don't care for that chisel chain. They pretty much all want semi chisel chain, which I can't quite grasp that all the same idea, but they say a lot of the softwoods, they actually like that semi chisel chain for better. And I don't know whether somebody said because the way that the the wood fibers are, the semi chisel just works better for them. And going back to even like with you know like you're saying you know if you got especially for somebody who's not going to be going through a lot of chains i mean yeah you probably go through a few of them but you know you don't want to have okay hanging up on this pike here's my semi-chisel chains for my frozen and dirty wood and then here's my (laughs) you know it's it's just one more thing to carry out there and let's be honest i i forget a lot of things when i'm going out to the woods i don't need one more thing to forget so what you can do this i don't know if i've ever even told you this john but like even like if you if you know that you had a real cold spell like we just had here and you have a bunch of frozen wood that you have to cut even like if you're looking at the top of the cutter if they call that your top plate angle if you cut that back so it's not nearly as steep like I'm talking maybe five degrees off of where you were so you take it from like a 30 to like a 25 degree angle you know or excuse me 35 so where it's a little bit flatter that even will make it so it lasts a lot longer in that same frozen wood
0: well let me just dig into one little thing you talked about the fiber mm-hmm. or the output of the saw when you're cutting and I've recognized this because I've caught softwoods and hardwoods uh, and depending on what type of chain that I'm using, when you're starting to see more fibrous material rather than chunks, what's that usually an indication of? Uh, obviously, chain sharpness, application situation there where are you using the right chain? Um, have you had, I mean, can you give some dialogue to that? Because I think that's sometimes where people get, you know, well, I'm I'm burning out a chain or my bar is getting really hot. It's a function of a lot of things and just how the chain is cutting through that wood and making sure you have the right chain or the right sharpness of that chain in that application, can you explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the lot, well, so I mean, so a lot of people already know this, but like you can tell a lot about a chain and the wood that you're cutting just by looking at the shavings underneath of like that's coming out of that saw. If you if you have big old chunks and you're you're more than likely you got it a little bit aggressive. You kind of want to have things are about as big around as like a pencil eraser, and you know maybe I'm talking a millimeter thin thick at very very most. I mean, you want to have them just kind of nice little flakes that are coming off. When you're looking at something and say if it's a real, real soft piece of wood, if you get to real, real soft, like a box alder is a good example. That is extremely, extremely soft. A wasted piece of, like, lawn garbage wood is the best way to describe (laughs) it. That is actually something that you want to have nice, sharp chain for because that – and you would want to have that chisel chain for it. It's it's very – it can go either way, but, like – for what it, like that application to me you want to have that sharp chain because that needs to cut the fibers if you had that semi-chisel or if you've gotten that full chisel chain that's you know it's kind of uh, i probably should sharpen that but we can cut down this one tree you're going to start ripping that fibers and ripping the fibers always turns into you know more labor on the saw it's you know you're it's going to sound really small aspect i mean you're kind of weakening the the tree itself as far as, like, every single little bit that you're breaking of those fibers. I mean, that tree's become more and more weak, less and less stable, and it yeah. just becomes more of a bad situation. And that just more or less goes into, like, you know, not necessarily cutting the tree down, but, like, the lemming aspect, you know, it's going to be a lot more stringy, per se.
0: And I think that's important for people that are doing a hinge cutting, and I've seen that prime example right there where you're running too heavy or too hard through something like you're talking, box elder or other mm-hmm. species, and, again, you see more tearing and then less stability in that hinge. So there's yep. time and place for a lot of this stuff that that I've kind of recognized. So let's kind of get off that topic a little bit. We've talked about a bunch of different things. We talked about going from, like, the base, you know, uh and forget the brand for a sec- second, you know, what they categorize as homeowner saws, you know, upgrading more toward a professional saw for the application, but again, I, I want to say to everyone, I, I don't think there's anything wrong buying a homeowner's saw, depending on the volume of usage. And I know that they kind of quote, oh, absolutely you, know, you know, the volume of usage. I mean, if you're cutting cords and cords of, of, um, you know, firewood or you're bucking massive trees or you're, you're actually doing, you know, logging operations, you're likely to be on the professional side. But the limited use that a lot of folks have, there's nothing wrong with a homeowner's saw. You may not get the longevity out of it, but in those cases, I mean, you know we talked about the nuances of of kind of the the power to weight ratio, but it's not such a big sidestep looking at some of these other saws that that steel offers as an example. I said I was going to bring up brands, but you know I Correct. looked at a bunch of different you know models that they have that are you know the farm boss model that's got you know this torque and that I mean there's some good options for for homeowners mm-hmm. that don't want to spend six seven fifteen hundred dollars on a saw so
2: oh yeah. Um, I mean, like, when it comes to the homeowner, like the, the like I was saying earlier, too, is, you know, your power to weight ratio is so much better on the professional. But like you said, you know, it's for going back to, like, even, say, in Anthony's aspect, you know, he had that 261, which is a real light peppy saw and everything like that. But if you have one... You know, one of the things where, yeah, you're going to need to cut some bigger wood, but you're not going to have to use it a whole, whole lot. It's just kind of more like an insurance policy. That's probably the best way to describe it. If it's like an insurance policy or if it's something that, you know, you're going to do an okay amount, but it's not something you're going to be running, you know, every day of the week or even, you know, three days out of the week. If it's something you're going to be pulling out maybe once a month and you don't really need to, to have that top of the line model then yeah that like the farm and ranch i'm like you said i'm going back to the steel terms just because those are what's in my hand right now but like the 271 and the 291 those are those are great saws i mean they they do pretty much anything you need them to do when he when anthony was looking for a bigger saw they could run a little bit longer bar they have a 311 and a 391 yeah the 362 does it better and it's the better power to weight ratio, but that 311 and 391, you can put a 25 inch bar on there and that will, that will do the cutting that you need it to do. You know, it's, it's, so you gotta, like you were saying, you kind of got to weigh the options as far as like, okay, am I really going to be using this tool a lot or is there something that's going to be sitting on my shelf for all year long and I'm going to use it for two, three days out of the year. It's kind of hard to justify a thousand dollar purchase or even a $600 purchase of something that you're not going to be using a lot, a lot, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think Anthony and I are both, extreme gear nuts right because we want I guess we want the best or we want the most options but then we're thinking about the application side of it right so Mm -hmm. like we stepped up from a 250 to I had a 261 I went to 362 and now I'm at a 460 but I still have three saws I like having a super lightweight saw and then maybe a little bit larger saw for bucking or cutting down larger timber absolutely so maybe having multiple options is, is another you know a choice for you and of course you know you don't have to buy brand new you can buy used there's obviously that or you can rent again if you need a larger saw for a certain situation again knowing how to handle the saw feeling safe with the saw like you said earlier that's really important but i think having kind of some of these options or having multiple options i mean i gosh i can't tell you when i first started i remember having two saws because i would get one hung up i'm a little more experienced now but i mean those things do happen it's nice to have two saws on you in case you need, you know, both saws for a particular tree that you're working on, you're alone in the woods and, and you get a saw hung up, you know, and that happens many times to people.
2: Talk to a lot of people all day long and don't don't feel like they're alone. <laughs> you know, like it's, in my eyes, it's kind of foolish to go out in the woods with one saw. Yeah, if you're going out to go to cut down a Christmas tree or you got to go, one or two little trees yeah you can probably get away with one but if you got to spend anything more than half an hour in the woods it's a pretty good insurance policy to have two different saws and <laughs> like you said and even if you're if you're very confident with that one saw and you know you it's that one second or that one screw up Elvis and all of a sudden oh now i pinched that so to me i i push a lot of people towards us I, I make a lot of enemies of wives and things like that because i end up telling people that yeah you're going to want to get another saw too <laughs> so they just they just got done talking them in there by the way we sell flowers too for in
0: trouble on that <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah exactly
0: all right so another good concept of having multiple units and i really want to go back real quick you know you talked about a clearing saw brush cutting saw those those options mm-hmm. earlier and i wanted to talk about on the maintenance side of things because i, I think i've been inter- maybe introduced this in other podcasts, but The reality of it is, you're going to get into a situation where we're going to be dealing with a lot of stems, stems per Mm -hmm. acre, depending on the species. Well, whether it's aspen or maple or whatever the case may be. And it's in that, you know, inch, two inch, maybe three inch range. And you've got a lot to deal with. That's not the application for hack and squirt. Some people think it is. It is absolutely not. Hack and squirt or frilling is like one of the last options that I use. And, and you hear a lot about that right now. Hack and squirt, hack and squirt. I'd rather just cut down this tree and, and uh, apply, you know, herbicide right to, right to the stump. I, I prefer mm-hmm. not doing hack and squirt. But when you're dealing with the smaller saplings, what would you think would be the best option for somebody? And I know sometimes it's species because certain species are more dense. You're dealing with heavier wood uh, and it's hard to kind of get through that. But if it's, we're in that one to two inch range. What do you think would be the best option for folks?
2: For, this can be very hard, like you said. If you have a, if you have a dealer that would rent you a clearing saw that in my eyes especially if you have to do anything over like a quarter of an acre or half an acre of that stuff i mean if you're doing that sort of thing for a quarter or half of an acre even with uh, say your 201 or something like that by the end of doing that quarter or half of an acre you're gonna know it i mean if you if you have to do something smaller yet chainsaws fine but if you have to do anything like an acre of it or if you have a you know a hundred acre parcel that you have to go through and just do this in little pieces try and find somebody that has the clearing saw you can and i'm going to say this very very loosely when it comes to cutting down like trees and not to get too carried away but when it comes to cutting down trees whether your chainsaw clearing saw or anything like that the faster you can do that and i'm saying this in a controlled manner the safer it's going to be so going back to that same sentence right there there's two different lines really per se when it comes to like even the brush clearing saws like you have dedicated brush clearing saws which are 40 cc's of mean machine you know that with a circular saw blade on there but you can also like a lot of people i i sell a bunch of them that same combi system trimmer that i'm that i have now you can get a very similar blade for that it's a little bit smaller, and obviously it's going to be smaller CC wise. So you're lacking, like maybe a horse. You can still get a brush clearing saw and like a setup for one of those. You're still going to be looking probably six, seven hundred bucks to get into it. But if you already have that and you're using that for your clearing your yard, you know, and doing string trimming, then yeah, you know, it's a little bit easier to justify that hundred to a say a hundred dollar investment between the mounting kits and everything like that to go do that aspect. So if you have kind of that intermediate where, yeah, you don't have a hundred acres that you got to do, but you got a little bit more than like that acre or two. You could very well. Just go get one of those, say an FS 131 which is the bike handlebar brush cleaner or trimmer that I was telling you about. And you can go do your regular trimming at your house and you can use it for other things. Like for example, with mine, I have what they call a brush knife, which is great for like golden rod, even like burdock, anything like that. That's kind of even halfway woody stuff. that's still relatively small. It, it, basically blows right through that and so i basically bounce mine in between those two and then if i get in between where i got cut down like you know them inch saplings or two inch saplings or something yeah i'll, I'll take that brush clearing saw and i'll go out there and i'll use that for a day you know and like you that just goes back to the right tool for the job and like like i said you can definitely still do it with that with a regular fs yeah fs 131 or like a, whatever you have but just be very aware as far as what's what's what it can is capable of doing you can pull a fifth wheel camper with an s10 pickup it's just not probably going to do it as well for very long so
0: all right good i just want to get back to that point because i I got an inquiry this week of how do i handle multiple saplings what's the best option because again we we can't burn some people don't want to use herbicide more importantly and i don't think herbicides more time consuming it just you know they they don't necessarily want to be spraying all over the place and i I get Mm -hmm. the reservation there Uh, So they want to do it mechanically and mechanical option, you know, what's the best option. You know, so it's something to consider, right? You have options. It doesn't necessarily have to be a chainsaw. And maybe if you have a
2: dealer that you can get that, that clearing saw, like a rental on, that would be just the and That would be a good example something that you just want to kind of tackle this once and then you'll go and maintain it afterwards. That would be your best option.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm using it to deal with brambles and briars. I want to recommend just a quick thing for everybody. If you have brambles, Briars, whether it's in the south, you're dealing with dewberry, it's in the north as well. Any type of rubus, you know, uh, blackberry, raspberry, stuff that's kind of in the northeast that we deal with a lot. Usually on the second or third year, you're going to get a lot more canes. And and depending on the state of that, you know, particular vegetation, it's kind of dense, you know, kind of, I don't, like you said earlier, it's very stemmy. These are the applications where you want to use it because you want to have accessibility in there for deer. You may want to reset it back in three or four years, right, to keep that young vigor, High attraction value plant. So this type of equipment allows you to get in there and allows you to adjust the height that you cut it at. Because if you cut it too low, you have plants that may outcompete it. So you know adjusting yeah. the height of that particular cutting in that application may be good at, from a fieldwork standpoint. Anthony, let's get into PPE. We're kind of at the end of the time, but I want to kind of get into you know equipment, extra things that we're using for protection, et cetera. So why
1: don't you kind of kick that off with with Mark? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about the, you know, right tool or tools for the job and, um, you know, considerations in, in that regard. Um, but, uh, you know, Mark, I, I think you would recommend, you know, anybody who's going out into the field, whether with a chainsaw or one of these, you know, uh, clearing saws, that they have a certain amount of uh, protection equipment, right? Can you uh, dive into that and uh, get into what you would recommend?
2: yeah i mean i think this no matter across the board even if you're going out there and picking up branches and stuff like that ppe is probably one of the least money spent on item at the at like a regular OPE dealer but it's definitely something that should be looked at all the time you're you're gonna hear i have real good friends that are loggers and you know they've they've spent hours and hours and hours out in the woods and Like they accidents happen. I mean, I I have a real good friend. A few years ago, he's I would trust him with my life. As far as like if if I was standing there and he was going to try and drop a tree two feet to the left of me, I would trust him because he has very good control. But it, accidents happen. He was cutting down a couple maple trees and, you know, a, a tree came and caught onto another branch and the, and he wasn't, he was limbing the tree. I was the end of the day and this branch came down and broke his, the back of his right arm up because he was limbing this tree, knocked him right clean out and he woke up later. So oh, PPE is something that definitely don't forget about, especially if you're not a hundred percent with it. The helmet. Helmets options and hearing protection, like when it comes to chainsaw, those are pretty big. I mean, like I said, the helmet is, it's just, it makes it a lot more convenient because you can always pop it out if you need to talk to somebody. And then the chaps, the chaps, it's not as important when I'm saying this very, very loosely, but it's not as important with like a brush clearing saw, but like I would definitely You know, good work work apparel. You're not going to be going out there like you're going to go get the mail from the mailbox or something like that. You definitely (laughs) want to, you know, good good gloves are always a good idea. And obviously, if it's the middle of winter, you're not going to be going out there in shorts anyway. So just make sure you have good apparel as far as that goes on. Helmet options, just the big things to look at when you're looking at them. Make sure you get, they have a screen on the front. A lot of people don't like the screens, but they, they do have a, their purpose on them. When you're looking at hearing protection, there's a, I think it's an NPR is the actual, the rating of the reduction of, uh, decibels. That's something to look at. And then the helmets, there's, there's a bunch of different, uh, numbers on those as far as their rating for strength and integrity. And then as far as like the chaps go, going back to steel terms, I know it's only about the fifth time tonight, <laughs> but, uh, they go with they go with a six layer and nine layer chaps. What I usually tell people is, if you're with a 60 cc or up to a 60 cc saw, you can get away with six layer chaps. That's the amount of uh, protective fibers that are inside there. When you get over 60 cc's, nine layer chaps are just smarter. It's it's just that added layer of protection. That's and yeah, that's it's going to be heavier in the summer. I get that, but. I really don't want to hop around on one leg for the rest of my life. So to me, that's it's just no brainer. If you're going, especially if you're going to be running these bigger saws or you know something like that, it's it's just a real added security. And even when it goes back to like what I was saying with the battery saws, like with 100% torque right off the bat, I actually personally know somebody that cut themselves with an MSA 120. They are very, 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 very familiar with chainsaws. And they had a storm that came through, and they have a bunch of gas powered saws. He, I, he actually did some logging in previous years. And he oh, I'll just go grab this saw. you know, it's rainy out still, and he but he needed to get this tree all kind of cleaned up. Did't put his chaps on, and he he actually admitted it, and he ended up cutting his leg. same thing, you know those are actually more dangerous than regular saws. You know, if you think about it, that hundred percent torque, if you put that up against your leg, it's not like it's going to hesitate at all. It's going to rip that thing right up. You don't have to worry about, Oh, the saw isn't running. If you trip and you bump the throttle on that thing with a saw, that's not running quote unquote, because it's battery, you know, that's, that's a definite threat, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, that that's one area that in years past, I've not been uh, good about. And, you know, back to, uh, making sure that you have a, a good relationship or establish a good relationship with your local dealer. You know, I I came down to visit you, Mark, uh, you know, a little over a year ago or so. And, uh, you know, we went through all those options, the helmet options and the chap mm-hmm. options. And I was able to, you know, right in your store, look at all those and, and try them on and, and see what was going to fit best. And, yep. You know, so building that relationship, you know, getting in uh, in good with your local dealer really has benefits in that regard.
2: Yep. And, like, the other thing I just want to say, too, while we're still on the chaps thing there, like, I know there's some people that just hate the actual idea of the chaps because they got the straps on the back. They have other options. I mean, there are a lot of other brands, too. There's what they call uh, cutting pants. I, I actually have a pair of the winter pants through steel. They're really nice because they're insulated on the back. They got, I call it a, a butt flap thing there that goes halfway up your back. So when you're hunched over, you know, you don't have to worry about your back sticking out of your shirt getting all cold and everything like that. It's, it, it's still got the, the protective uh, Kevlar all there in the front, so you don't have to worry about cutting through your leg or anything. Um, any of, whether you're talking about winter pants, summer pants, chaps, the one thing that A lot of people think I'm joking about, and I remember telling both of you guys, actually, when I was in there talking about chaps, when you buy those chaps new, and I don't care whether they're steel, Le Bonneville, Husqvarna, it does not matter. You need to take those home and wash them before you use them. When they pack them, the fibers on them are made to be compressed so they can package them in a nice, efficient manner. Well, it doesn't do any good. Like a nine-layer chap that is compressed and not loosened up, is less effective than a six layer that's all been rustled up. Okay. So just because you have that nine layer, they need to be washed to loosen up those fibers so they can be effective.
0: That's important for people to know, because I don't think that's well known to a lot of people that are, you know, out there, no. you know, working. So that's, that's huge. Any, anything else, yeah. like, it as it relates to like little bits of data like that, that can be a, kind of a, a safety thing that, that you think might be important for folks.
2: The main thing is just if, it, I, I'm coming from a person who's very, very hands-on. I want to know a lot of things, and I understand there's a lot of people that want to sit around and do a lot of, like, the the looking online, the YouTubing, things like that. I know, actually, I think actually Husqvarna has a little bit better version of it, but Steel and Husqvarna both have a lot of videos and how-tos and stuff like that. When you are doing a lot of chainsawing, and it just goes across the board for anything. The more you do of it, the more comfortable you're going to get, which is kind of a double-edged sword because the more comfortable you get with it, the less attention you might be paying, and that's when accidents happen. You know, I I sent my hand through a table saw a few years ago. Same thing. I've done it a million times cutting things out back, and I just got in the habit of it, and I just wasn't focusing for one second and pulled my hand into the table saw. You know, it's no different when it comes to a chainsaw. You just got to be aware of what you're doing. So when, if you're familiar with reactive forces, you kind of got to look at things and just be aware of that because that's – it's no, it's no good me selling you a saw if you're not gonna be able to come in and, you know, tell me about your experience and everything like that because of an accident that happened because you didn't weren't aware. So you know, do your research and just make sure that you you understand that, that you know this is this tool is designed to cut through hardwood at a reasonably fast rate. So your leg is not gonna do any difference. You know, there's a lot of reactive forces. You know, if you're looking at a piece of wood that's you know elevated on both ends and got a sag in the middle, there's just a lot of different things that. Can can they can happen i'm not trying to scare anybody off and say oh no you shouldn't be running chainsaw but just be aware of what's out there and know, and know your limits you know that's that's the biggest thing is know you know what you okay i can do that no i i better not do that
0: absolutely a good way to end it right be aware have awareness and and know mm-hmm. your limitations and and grow your experience don't just jump into something head first and assume you can do it i I think we've all done that. We've jumped in and, and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, sometimes that's the most unwise thing you can do. Uh, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Be careful out there, hinge cutting trees or felling trees traditionally or any type of strategy that you have going on and, and, uh, just have good awareness of your equipment. Know that you have options and make sure you have resources. Uh, Mark, Absolutely. I want to thank, uh, you being on here and Anthony, thanks for, uh, for taking the time and asking the questions. I, I think. You know, there's there's probably a lot more we could talk about on this topic. We kind of hit the high (laughs) points and you know, hopefully have another conversation on maybe more specifics. But I I thought this was really good. I've I've learned quite a bit here listening to you, Mark, and uh although I've listened to you talk before, I learned a few things here. So appreciate you having on. And uh your where's your shop located exactly?
2: So my shop is actually, it's a Cincinnati's home center. Like I said, it's kind of halfway between Cortland and Norwich. It's a hardware slash lumber slash OPE, and then we have a groceries part on one side too. So it's a little bit of everything located right off 26. I've we kind of been a little bit shorthand, so I I'm in and out of the shop quite a bit. But absolutely, don't hesitate to ask. You know, questions. Uh, you can call. You can ask for me that way, and I'll try and get back to you as fast as I can. Six zero seven eight six three four one seven five. I mean, like I said, I I'd rather even if you have your are three hours away or something like that, and you don't really know of a dealer that you can trust, or you have some a uh, dealer that might not feel you're not comfortable with it or anything like that. I'm even, I'm good with, you know, talking to you that way too. And then you can still go, you know, do your best educated guests that you can from far away too. So.
0: Great. Great. Anthony, anything else from you on your end?
1: No, no. I just want to echo what you said, John, you picked up some uh, good some bits of information. Uh, thanks Mark. Appreciate your time. No problem. no problem.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. You know, hopefully we'll all get together soon and, uh, you know have a good uh, habitat season this winter appreciate it talk to you guys
1: see ya Bye. maximize your hunt is a production of whitetail landscapes for more information on how john teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt check out WhitetailLandscapes.com.